So, how's your memory? How's your memory? Is it good? So far, we have not been approached by any uh, television companies to come to our house to do a reality TV show. I'm really surprised, but I'm really not. I mean, there's just my wife and me, and I'm afraid they would just sort of see silence and people sitting and, and having conversations, but there's nothing really super exciting that happens in our house. I think it would be good for a sleep aid maybe, but that's about it. Uh, but one thing that you would see if you were to bring a TV crew or a hidden camera into our house is you would see on occasion, on a fair, not more on a fairly regular basis, myself or my wife walking into a room and stopping in the middle of the room and saying this statement. Now, what did I come in here to do? Ever done that? I mean, it's just happening, and the older I get, it sort of happens more and more. In fact, when I do it, my wife, if she's around, she'll just be looking at me like, oh, how are we doing with, with the memory? How, how is your memory? I, we all have memory aids, from Post-it notes to smartphones. We sort of put it on that little note section. Uh, my, my, my statement, if I don't write it down, I'm not going to do it. I've got to write it down. But maybe a better question than how's your memory is what is it that you need to remember? What's important to remember? If you're a student, you need to study, and you need to master whatever subject you're studying. You need to remember those facts so you can pass the test. But in a way, we're all students. We're all continuing to learn. And as we learn, we also need to be reminded that there are things that are important to remember. And the point of learning is the ability to grow as an individual and also in our relationship with God. So I want us to look at a passage this evening. I want to set the stage for this passage. It's, um, it's a dramatic event in the history of the children of Israel. Uh, it's found in, in the book of Joshua. Uh, the children of Israel have been released from captivity in Egypt. Uh, they have escaped and have wandered in the wilderness, and because of their disobedience and their lack of faith, God uh, allows them to wander for 40 years before they actually enter into the promised land, what we now call Galilee or Israel, the, the, the nation of Israel. And Moses uh, has brought them to this place, but uh, he has died, and Joshua is the leader that has stepped up in his place. And Joshua and his his uh, compatriot uh, Caleb are the two individuals who have lived uh, for this day and are leading now the children of Israel into the promised land. The problem is they are on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is, uh, the text says, in flood stage. It's impassable. You cannot ford it. And yet Joshua says, okay, it's time to go. And he orders the, the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant uh, uh, into the water, and as they, they carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water, uh, the, the scripture says there's a, there's a uh, wall of water that was formed, and dry land was provided, and the children of Israel walked across the Jordan River, the riverbed on dry land to the other side, and entered into the promised land. Hundreds of thousands of people made that trek across the Jordan River, and as they got to the other side, Joshua did an interesting thing. He said, to uh, the uh, men uh, of each tribe to take one man from each tribe of Israel, 12 men, and go into that riverbed before we, before we go on, and each of you take a stone and bring it out of the riverbed. And Joshua took those stones, and when they camped at a place called Gilgal that night, he 
took those stones and he put them together and he created a, a monument, a memorial. Joshua did not give it a name. In fact, uh, that kind of memorial really wasn't given a name until 350 years later. The, the prophet Samuel, uh, after some victories of the Israelites over the Philistines, also took a stone and, and he set it between, the text says he set it between Mizpah and, and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer. He named it Ebenezer. And he went on to say, for thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is, is a combination of two Hebrew words. Evan, which means stone, and Azar, which means help. Literally, a stone of help. So Joshua forms this, this, this uh, Ebenezer, and then he says these words. Now, if you have your Bibles or if you have your bulletins, look at the text, Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to begin, begin to read in verse 21. Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So, what's a memorial? What's, what do we think of when we think of a memorial? It's, it's, it's something, especially a structure, it's established to remind us of, of uh, a, a person or an event that took place. In this case, the memorial was, was an event, but it also tied to a person. It tied to Joshua himself, his leadership. Joshua, more importantly then, talked and pointed, talked about and pointed to God, the one who had provided the power for them to, to move into the promised land. This is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's a time to set aside uh, some time to honor those who have sacrificed their lives uh, for this country. And uh, my wife... Uh, th these times of the year, she uh, goes into the archives and she sent me uh, a couple of pictures. Actually, it's a picture of her father and my father. My father served in World War II in the Navy. He was a CB. He served in the South Pacific. And her father served in the Army. He served in Africa and Italy and then on up into France and eventually Germany. And uh, picture, here's a picture of my dad. He's really a good-looking guy, I think. And uh, uh, there he is. He's got a CB patch on. And uh, I don't know what it was, that, that, that arms folded was sort of the pose of, of the military that day. But that was my dad uh, during World War II. That was his, his Navy picture. My, my wife's dad uh, is named uh, Stanley Andrew Backey. And uh, he, was, uh, he served in the Army. And uh, he was uh, a soldier who also served uh, in, like I said, Africa and the European theater. We, uh, for our 30th anniversary years ago, we went to Italy and uh, we rented a car of all things. I don't know why I did this. I had no GPS at the time. It was too expensive to get, I guess. And so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll make my way through Italy. We'll be okay. So we spent the first half of our time in Tuscany uh, in the northern part of Italy. And then we drove down to the Malfi Coast. And on the way driving down, we wanted to stop at a place called Anzio. 
Nianzio was, was a beachhead. It was a famous battle site of World War II where, where the GIs landed in an attempt to, to uh, uh, outflank the Germans, and, and they were bogged down there for three months. My, my wife's father fought in that battle for months, and uh, he wrote letters back and, and, and very, uh, very heartfelt letters to his, his wife, my, 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 my wife's mom, and uh, we decided that we would stop at Anzio. It's just a small beach town uh, south of Rome, about uh, 25 miles, and uh, there was a museum there, the Anzio Museum, and uh, we wanted to visit that. So we, we had the time open, 10 o'clock, we went there, and 10 o'clock, uh, the museum wasn't open. It was just part of a bigger building, and there was a, a door that was locked. Finally, around 10.20, an older gentleman, must have been easily in his 80s, came, and he opened up the door, and uh, we were the only two that were there to see the museum, so he invited us in, and uh, he told us that he was a, a uh, uh, in the re Italian resistance in World War II, told us his story, that he uh, managed and, and was a curator of this museum. It wasn't very, very much in there. There are some uniforms and some weapons. It, and yet there was a video that uh, chronicled the months of, uh, of hard fighting at Anzio. And uh, then he directed us on to the military uh, cemetery where hundreds of men and women were, were buried. And those rows, if you've ever been to military cemetery, the rows of crosses and stars of David were just striking as, as we stood there. It was a memorial. It was an Ebenezer. Verse 21 of this passage, Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? You've got to tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So these Ebenezers, these memorials, they answer the question, really, what's worth remembering? What's worth remembering? So given the story of your life, what are the Ebenezers in your life that you need to revisit? And what are the benefits that you need to remember? So I'm gonna, I've taken this, the, the these verses, and Joshua really preaches a little sermon here, a little four-point sermon, and I just want to, to do phrase by phrase and, and add a sentence. And sometimes it's difficult. I know when I listen to messages, and, I th and, and my wife will say, well, what'd you get out of that, that service and, and that message? I'll go, well, and sometimes there's a tough time remembering. I'm going to leave you with a sentence, okay? And that sentence, if you could memorize it or write it down or maybe put it in your smartphone, it would really make me feel good, I know, in terms of being able to teach you. But I think it would help you to remember, okay, in this Memorial Day weekend, what, is it, what are the things that we need to remember? Joshua sort of preaches this, this little sermon in four phrases, and we'll just expand it into the sentence. First phrase is this, God did a miracle. God did a miracle. Now, it was a pretty dramatic miracle, that's for sure. And uh, not all miracles, by the way, are dramatic. Sometimes miracles go unseen. I think most of the miracles I think that happen in my life, I don't even really notice all the time. This was a pretty dramatic one, and Joshua wanted the, the children of Israel to be reminded of it through this Ebenezer. So do you believe God does miracles? I do. I think God supernaturally intervenes himself in the course of my life and your life to help teach us and to mold our lives and to protect us in many ways. One of the miracles in our life happened when my daughter was uh, in a senior in high school. She went uh, to a 
regular medical physical, our doctor, and a doctor found that she had some difficulty with her, with her uh, thyroid and uh, was found to have cancer after some tests. And we were shocked. And uh, we took the appropriate action. She uh, had to have her thyroid removed and uh, went through months of really difficult recovery. There are times that look very, very grim, uh, even though that wasn't uh, that we were told it wasn't that serious of a condition, but uh, we just went through all tons of ups and downs, and my daughter did too. So my wife, uh, after one day where she experienced some tests, came home and, and she came to the room where I was sitting and said, we're getting a, a kitten. I said, okay. Uh, and uh, she knew that uh, I was, was sort of tricked into receiving our dog into our house, which I never agreed to, but it showed up. But I said, look, okay, dog fine, but no cats ever. And, and I just never was a, was a cat lover. You know, dogs, you house them, you feed them, you pat them on the head, they think you are God. Cats, you house them, you feed them, you pat them on the head, they think they're God, right? So that's, that's sort of the difference between dogs. I just didn't want a cat. And then my wife said, before you say no, let me tell you, Beth was, in, you know, had this test, and she was in a situation where it was quite claustrophobic, and uh, she was weeping, and I got close to her, and I said, honey, you get through this test, we're going to go get a kitten. And what am I going to say to that, right? You know, as Carl Sandburg said of Abraham Lincoln, often with nothing to say, he said nothing, and that was uh, mercifully my response. I said, okay. So we got the kitten. Beth named her. Her name was Precious. Can you imagine that name? This is before the Lord of the Rings uh, came out, so I don't think she would have named it after the Lord of the Rings. You can just see Smeagol saying, like, Precious. But that's not uh, how, how we, we called her. Um, I called her Precious. I sort of tolerated her existence. But I'll tell you, that cat grew on me. Because my daughter had that cat in her house probably a few months, and then she went off to college. Who gets the cat? We get the cat, right? care for the cat, feed the cat, clean up after the cat. But as time went on, the years went by, that cat had the sweetest temperament. I, I, I actually grew to love that cat. Times when I was alone in the house, I'd find myself saying, here, precious, can you imagine a grown man saying that? She never came, but I, I called her anyway. Uh, five years into that cat's life, um, she developed some kidney problems, had kidney failure, and... Uh, I was the one who had the responsibility of taking her to the vet, and, and we had her put to sleep. Had to do it. She was suffering too much. I cried and sobbed when that cat, cat's life ended. Because that cat was an Ebenezer in our house. That cat was an Ebenezer. It was a reminder that God does miracles. God did a miracle. That's the first phrase. Second phrase. God did a miracle, Joshua said, like he had done before. Children of Israel, they see the Jordan part of they're going, oh yeah, that's great. Wow, God did that. And they're all amazed. Joshua said, this happened 40 years ago. This happened at the Red Sea. You think this was cool? You should see the Red Sea that was parted. God did a miracle. Joshua wanted to remind him like he did before, like he had done before. Another Ebenezer in our life, 
I actually have on my body. Um, I've told you a few times that uh, in uh, 2012, I had open heart surgery, I had my aorta, aortic valve replaced, and uh, it was, as you can imagine, it was a pretty serious operation. There were weeks of recovery, and I always wondered, always wondered about uh, what uh, kind of scar it would leave. But every time I look at that scar, it's about eight, eight inches long, stretches from here to here. It's not awful. It's just a little white line. It's a reminder. It's sort of an Ebenezer of, of God and his healing of my heart. Now, those of you who are thinking, oh, this is modern medicine. Modern medicine does that. That's not a miracle. Uh, I will tell you, those of you who think that have never been through open heart surgery because it really does feel like a miracle when you go through it. But that's not all the story because when you have something like heart surgery, you, you find out information. You find out information about a heart. Do you know your heart every minute pumps out five liters of blood, and that five liters of blood is your entire blood supply. Every minute, your heart pumps and circulates the entire blood supply of your body. That little pump, about the size of your fist, continually does that, and, and, and it, it does it constantly, 100,000 beats a day. If you live a, a, an average life, your heart will beat three billion times. There are, and I had to look this up three different sources because I didn't believe it for a source. I thought it was, was a misprint. There are 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. 60,000 miles, all intricately woven in. You know what the real miracle is? That we have hearts. We have hearts that generate that kind of, that kind of blood flow that helps us live our lives. That's a miracle. I, I didn't conceive of that. God created that. God did a miracle like he had done before. And that scar is an Ebenezer to God's protection of me as I went through that time. All right, here's the next phrase. You ready? God did a miracle like he had done before to show his power. Verse 24, he did this also the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. This is Joshua saying this to the children of Israel. And I want you to remember, the people that were crossing the Jordan at that time, they weren't crossing into friendly territory. It's not like they were home free. It's not like they just sort of, okay, now go to all the portions of the land and, and live your lives. They had to fight battles. This, this Ebenezer wasn't just, okay, you can stop now. This Ebenezer was was there to remind them, the God who parted those waters will be with you as you continue to go through the battles of your life. And they needed encouragement for those battles yet to come. So that Ebenezer was a touch point to let them know they had a resource that was continually supernatural. When God calls you to a task, when God calls me to a task, he will always give us the power to accomplish it. Always. In the late 1600s, there was a movement in, in Europe called the Pietist Movement. Uh, men and women who had uh, seen the Reformation, what Martin Luther had done in the early 1600s, and, and as, the, as the church began to grow in and, and, and influence and power, 
unfortunately, they sort of lost the whole focus as a, as a generation died out and, and two successor generations came in. And by, by 1670, 1680, it didn't take long for the church to just be back to formalistic, okay, let's just go to church and let's let that be and not get really excited about anything else in terms of our faith. And there, there are some men who spearheaded a movement called the Pietist Movement that, that said we need to have a relationship with God that's vital and affects every bit of our lives. Philip Spainer was one of these, these men. He, he was a seminary, uh, a university professor, taught theology, and uh, he was, he was uh, thrown out of the, the university where he taught because he was considered too fanatical and, and, and uh, yet went on with that ministry. Another man in this movement is called August Hermann Franke, and he also uh, taught at Leipzig, and left that to speak at, uh, and to teach at a smaller uh, school in Halle, Germany. It's a little city in, in eastern Germany. It's still there today. And Franco, when he gets to this, this uh, small city and he begins to teach, he notices that there are children in, in this town that, that are just wandering in the streets. They, they're orphans. They, they have no home. They, they beg for food. And he felt that part of his mission as a believer was to care for, somehow care for these, these children. And not just to feed them and to make sure they were safe, but also to give them an education. And he began a school, a school at Halle. And he called it his ragged school because there, there were just kids that would come. And by 1698, after a few years in, in Halle, he, had, he was teaching 100 orphans every day and providing them with shelter and food and clothing and 500 of the children in that town who would not have had an education. His, his whole model of education became, became a model for public education in Germany. He was a great man, and what he taught them basically and primarily was that God was a God who was powerful and could live his life through them. He had a great influence, not just in that town, but all of Germany. And in the 1800s, uh, there was a commission, and there was a sculptor, and made a sculpture of Franca, and it's and it was placed in front of the school there in Halle, Germany, and it's a sculpture with with a man. It's a beautiful sculpture. It's a man, Franca, and he. And there's two children, a small a small girl and a small boy, and he's got a hand on on each of those children, and in the in, in the pedestal below, it has his name, August Hermann Franca, and then it has these three German words: Er vertraute Gott. He trusted God. What a great epitaph. You know the history of Germany. You know what they went through World War I, World War II, the Nazis, and then afterwards the Soviet Union came, came to that part of Germany. Halle was in East Germany, and, and uh, the, the Germans embraced that communistic system with gusto. They wanted to eliminate all religion, and they didn't know what to do with this statue has those three words on that statue. He trusted God. And they came to a place where they were going to remove the statue. And the people of that town, I don't know if they were believers or not, but they said, no, that will remain. And they could not touch that statue. It stands to this day. God's a powerful God. Last phrase. God did a miracle like he had done before to show his power. Here's, here's the last phrase. So that we might always fear him. So that we might always fear him. 
Now, it's tough talking about fearing God. We, we emphasize God's grace, his mercy, his love, which we should, because he does. But there is a, an element that sometimes we forget when we talk about our relationship with God and what our attitude should be toward him, and it's, it, it's encompassed by this word fear. I don't think the English translation really does this justice. There is a sense of awe. There is a sense of respect. There is a sense of weightiness when it comes to this word. It's not just an Old Testament word. Jesus talked about fearing God as well. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. There, there's a holy fear that Joshua wanted to, to remind the people of, and I think that I need to be reminded of, and I would encourage you to think about that as well. I get in trouble when I forget to fear God. When I get lazy with my actions, and, oh, God will forgive me, God will do this. No, there's something deeper and more important in terms of my life, and I need to remember that. I'm never beyond the need of God's power, and therefore I need to pay attention to what is it that he's calling me to do. I need to fear him. Best illustration I have of that, I, I was in college, I was home. Uh, we had uh, so, some rules in our house. It wasn't awful, it wasn't legalistic, it wasn't too strict, but there was one rule that we, my dad enforced, and that was you cannot backtalk your mother. There is no backtalking your mother. And uh, he was serious about it. We knew he was serious, and we respected our father. And we really, to the mo for the most part, we were, we were pretty faithful to that. Maybe some slip-ups, but we were generally pretty good because we respected my dad. So one, at this time, I was, I was home. My mom and I had gotten into an argument. She was impossible about something. And I just, I, you know, but I, I'm blocked. I can't say anything back. It's the rule of the household. So I leave the kitchen where we are, and I walk up our steps. There's two flights and landing, and another flight that goes up that. And I just, I'll do her shot with my mom. I just sort of, do you do this? I just sort of gave her a piece of my mind without her listening, right? And I'm just talking, very disrespectful. I'm saying things that I shouldn't. And, and I'm walking up the steps. I turn in the landing, and I look, and my dad's at the top of the steps, just looking down at me, listening to me say these things. He didn't say a word. And all I did was I just went like this. I wasn't in fear of my dad's punishment or any abusive action. My dad was the one who was the authority in our house. He was the one that, I, that we respected. And I didn't want to disrespect my dad. It's that same fear that you get when you're traveling 85 and see a, a, a highway patrolman. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, why? you know what? God's there. Joshua says, these stones are here, not just so we can rejoice in a miracle, but so we understand God's power and that we need to respect that power. So there's the sentence. Let's read it out loud, okay? Just lock it in your memory. You ready? We're going to read this together. Read it full voice. God did a miracle like he had done before to show his power so that we might always fear him. There it is. There's your message in a sentence, okay? So what's worth remembering in your life? I think that I need to remember that I stand here, not, not on my own doing, but on the sacrifices of the men and women who trusted God for something greater than their own comfort and ease. My wife 
who's in ministry, she, she visited, of all places, Siberia about a year and a half ago, in the winter. It's, that's my wife. She's just dedicated. And uh, wonderful people there. Great, great time there. Just wonderful believers committed to walking with Jesus. And one of, the, one of those, those Russian believers told my wife, he said, you see these believers here? See this ministry we're able to have? This ministry was built on the sacrifice and blood of those generations that have gone before us. The thousands of men and women who were exiled to Siberia from, from Western Russia because of their faith, and they brought their faith with them. When we come to Memorial Day, we celebrate people that loved us enough to sacrifice for us. Many of them sacrificed their lives. It's also a reminder that there was one who came 2,000 years ago, the spotless Lamb of God, who came and gave his life as a sacrifice to us. When we left that little museum in Anzio, we thanked this, this gentleman. He, he was very gracious to us, and he'd ask about my, my wife's father and the division he was in, and he said, no, don't go yet. He, and he handed us a sheet of paper, beautifully, uh, beautifully uh, done on the outside, nice, beautiful border, fancy border. And it was, it was a commendation with my wife's father's name written on it, Stanley Backey. He says, I want you to have this. And the, the, the paper reads to Private First Class Stanley Backey's 36th Division, and then the words, to those who fought so valiantly without fearing for their own lives on the beachhead during the Battle of Anzio. And then it says, lest we forget. I don't want to forget them. And I also don't want to forget that the God who loves me and a God who loves you has done things in your life to prove his presence and his love for you. You have Ebenezer's. Allow those to be your focal point as you go into this, this season of, of memory, as you go into this summer. Don't forget your Ebenezer's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. I thank you for the wonderful and faithful love that you had for these people as they, they were called to enter into a land where they would have to battle and trust and work and be faithful. I pray that we would be men and women of like mind and heart. And I ask as we go from this place, that you, you would allow us to be reminded of how you have touched our lives and help us to be thankful in the process. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son. In whose wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen.